Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade? They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if you're locked out on a Thursday and need a locksmith, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. TNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details. There is uh, there's a bit of news in the papers. I'm not going to lie. It's uh, it's fairly wall to wall, and it's all of a similar theme. But there are also many different angles of a theme, which perhaps just goes to illustrate just how much Golfgate has consumed public life in Ireland since it first emerged on Thursday evening. We'll start with the Sunday Times. Um, coalition pressures EU to quit EU post. Uh, Phil Hogan, the EU Trade Commissioner, has been told to consider his position after his attendance at an Oireachtas Golf Society event that breached public health guidelines last week. Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, and Leo Varadkar, the Taunashta, spoke to Hogan separately yesterday after three discussions between the two party leaders and the coalition partner Eamon Ryan they told him that his apology came late and that he needs to give a full account and explanation of his actions around the event in Clifton on Wednesday in a further development the coalition leaders said the door should be reopened following the reopening of schools following recalled rather following the reopening of schools Phil Hogan returned to Brussels yesterday. He is denied breaching a local lockdown in Kildare where he initially stayed after returning from Brussels for a holiday in July. It goes on to explain how he had bought an apartment in the K-Club and that's where he was residing for some time as well. Also on the front page of the Sunday Times this morning, no profiling for leaving grades, a story which was occupying a lot of people's thoughts this week until Golfgate emerged. But Joe McHugh, the former Minister for Education, says he's been assured by officials at the Department of Education that the predicted grade system being used for this year's Leaving Cert results will not include school profiling. The predicted grades are due to be published on September the 7th. McHugh said, I was assured by departmental officials that school profiling would not happen having raised these concerns a number of times. The TUI says that it has also sought and secured assurances from the Department of Education and Skills and then Minister McHugh that the calculated grade system would not involve school profiling. Maybe it's a case of what you actually consider to be profiling or not but certainly that's something that I think a lot of people will be a little bit surprised by. Uh, the front page of the Sunday Independent, Phil Hogan on the brink of resignation. Taoiseach Micheál Martin and Tánaiste Leo Varadkar have asked Phil Hogan to consider his position, heaping pressure on the EU Commissioner to resign over his attendance at the Oireachtas Golf Society dinner that has outraged the nation. Um, it is now seen as almost inevitable, the paper says, that Hogan will stand down as EU Commissioner possibly as soon as this weekend. There was no response from Mr Hogan's representatives last night. The three coalition leaders have bowed to opposition pressure. They've agreed to an early recall of the doll. I understand, by the way, that the doll is due to be recalled now on Tuesday the 1st of September, so slightly after the return of schools. There's already some statements this morning saying that that's not quite soon enough. Uh, meanwhile, Chief Justice Frank Clark is to speak to Mr Justice Seamus Wolfe about his attendance at the controversial dinner uh, and in an article in the, in the Sunday Independent today the Labour leader Alan Kelly says that Justice Wolfe should reflect on his position. He was of course the Attorney General who was involved in drafting some of the regulations that may have been breached uh, in the holding of that dinner uh, the other evening. The front page of the Business Post uh, Government seeks access to Oxford vaccine as the Golfgate scandal rages. They've taken a slightly different uh, approach to it all but they are telling us that the state is attempting to secure up to 2 million early doses 
doses of one of the most promising COVID-19 vaccines. As the crisis over Golfgate continues to engulf the coalition, the government is set to pay a deposit of several million euro to take part in an EU scheme that would give Ireland advance access to the vaccine which is being developed by Oxford University and AstraZeneca, the pharmaceutical company, should it prove successful. It's considered to be one of the five most promising candidates currently being developed and initial human trials last month suggested that it is safe and that it does trigger an immune response. On the sidebar of the business post, by the way, I should have turned around, says Hayes on that golf dinner. Brian Hayes, former junior minister, former MEP and now a bank lobbyist, has said he should have walked out of the controversial Golf Society dinner when he saw that it breached public health guidelines. Uh, he told the business post he was not considering his position now as the head of the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland because he is a private citizen who made a mistake. He said that he realised there were 80 people at the dinner in breach of the government's limit of 50. It did strike me at the time and I should have turned around, he said. Uh, and so say all of us I suspect when it comes to that uh, finally for now the Irish for a mail on Sunday Phil Hogan and golfing judge must go uh, the paper has commissioned an Ireland Thinks poll which was carried out online on Friday and Saturday so after Golfgate had emerged three in four people want Seamus Wolf and Phil Hogan to resign following their attendance at the controversial golf event in Clifton uh, according to a poll for the Irish Mail on Sunday the Ireland Thinks poll also shows that now more than half of people have no confidence in the government's ability to fight the COVID-19 pandemic and there is also a poll of, of party support if there were to be a general election in the very near future Fine Gael on 35%, Sinn Féin on 30 Fianna Fáil back on 11%. We might get to that a little bit later. But before I bring in Ono Mali and Aoife Barry to talk about all of the stories in the week that was in today's papers, we want to first of all go to the political correspondent of the Sunday Independent, Hugh O'Connell. Hugh, it was your title that was the first to uh, obtain that statement yesterday from the Taoiseach and Tónishta, from Micheál Martin and Leo Varadkar discussing uh, the, or demanding uh, that Phil Hogan consider his position. Can you talk us through the, the chain of events and the interactions that they had with Phil Hogan before that statement? Yeah, well, obviously on, on Friday evening, uh, Micheál Martin on the on RT61 News uh, said that he, he, he believed Phil Hogan needed to apologise and be, give a more meaningful uh, explanation of his um, reasons for attending the dinner, um, other than what he had, he had said earlier in the day, which was effectively that he got the assurance uh, from the hotel that, or he, had, he was of the understanding that the hotel had assured everyone that the, uh, the event was within the public health guidelines. Um, Micheál Martin's uh, decision to, to sort of out Phil Hogan on, on live TV uh, prompted uh, Phil Hogan's spokesperson to issue a statement saying that um, that the commissioner apologised uh, for any distress caused by his attendance at the dinner. So it's, it's that sort of caveat of apology mm. rather than that sort of unreserved apology that we were getting from several politicians on Friday. Didn't really land very well in government buildings. Um, the Taoiseach, the Taunish, and the Green Party leader met, or, or rather had, had um, a number of discussions yesterday, uh, as I understand it, and uh, they discussed recalling the doll early, as, uh, as, as you uh, mentioned there earlier, which will now happen more than likely. This is something that the Green Party in particular had been pushing for. But also, uh, on top of that, separately, uh, the Taoiseach spoke with Commissioner Hogan by phone, and so did the Taunish de Leo Varadkar, who, of course, uh, Phil Hogan is a, a member of, of Fine Gael and, and the Taunish's party, and actually would have been uh, closely involved or, or somewhat involved in, in Leo Varadkar's uh, leadership mm. campaign uh, three years ago, offering him some wise counsel at that time. Um, both men are very unhappy with what uh, Phil Hogan did and how he responded to all of this. They conveyed that to him in the phone call. And that led to a joint statement issued uh, to the Sunday Independent last night, which said that the Taoiseach and the Taunister did speak with the Commissioner today and asked him to consider his position. They both believe the event should never have been held, that the Commissioner's apology came late, and that he still needs to give a full account and explanation of his action. 
Um, separately, Leo Radcliffe told the Sunday Independent that um, the Commissioner Hogan's apology should have happened sooner. So, um, so I suppose it begs the question, Hugh, as to whether, and, and this might already seem a little bit Jesuitical, but is there a problem with the mm. nature or the belated apology from Phil Hogan, or is it the fact that he attended at all? Because if it's the fact that he attended at all, then surely you could apply the same logic to the position of Seamus Wolf, who they can't call for in person, but clearly privately they must have some reservations about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that everyone's pretty unhappy that these people went to this dinner, um, and I think Phil Hogan has compounded matters by not exactly dealing with it as well as, as perhaps others have. I mean, Derek O'Leary resigned on, on Friday morning, the former Agriculture Minister. Now, Seamus Wolf uh, did apologise unreservedly, I, I think, in his statements, although he, he again gave this uh, explanation that he, he had been informed that it was all within the public health guidelines. There is pressure on him to uh, him this weekend. It's not pressure that the government can apply publicly, but mm. certainly plenty of people in government I've spoken to over the last 48 hours are pretty unhappy and uncomfortable. But the very fact that Seamus Wolf even attended such a dinner, removing all of the issues around public health guidelines, if this was taking place in normal times, the very fact that a Supreme Court judge was attending an Oireachtas, a parliamentary golf society dinner, uh, would lead to major, or has led to, to some concerns amongst uh, people in government as to the appropriateness of this, whether it's uh, a breach of the separation of powers. So I think Seamus Wolf is going to have to do some explaining to um, the Chief Justice Frank Clark when, when Frank Clark returns from his holidays. Mm. Um, there isn't, there is a lot of disquiet, I think, in legal circles about this. I'm not sure if it, it reaches the point where he'll be asked to step aside but, but James Wolf himself might see the writing on the wall particularly if Phil Hogan falls on his sword Yeah well I wanted to ask about that as well because there is something of a Rubicon being crossed because although it's important to state that Phil Hogan isn't accountable to the Irish government so all Micheál Martin and, and Leo Varadkar can do is ask for him to consider his position they can't force him out the door but it is a bit of a Rubicon being crossed because if he does fall on his sword then it does kind of create this precedent that commissioners are still kind of answerable to their domestic governments and if he doesn't fall on the sword then all it goes to prove is that once you're you're in the door, then you're basically completely free from any public pressure or scrutiny at all. Yeah, it's 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 look, it's certainly a very unprecedented situation. I don't remember a situation like this ever before with the European Commissioner, with the person that the um, the Irish government has nominated to the Commission, who has been appointed, who's now in his second term, holds the very important trade portfolio. Um, you know, the, the Brexit negotiate uh, the Brexit negotiations, a trade deal uh, with the EU uh, between Britain and the EU is all important for Ireland. So this is a significant step that's been taken by the government in, in saying and asking Phil Hogan to consider his position. It, it definitely hasn't been done lightly, and it's been done with that calculation built in, I dare say. But it's been done because of the extent of public anger of what has happened here. And I think the teacher can atone to ultimately believe that this might go some way towards assuaging that public anger. But you know, we'll, we'll have to see whether it does or not. And of course, we'll have to see whether Phil Hogan resigns or not, because he may not. He may, as you say, double down and decide not to. No doubt he's in, he's in communication with the Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen. Alan Kelly, the Labour leaders out this morning, said that Tisha Kintonis to need to contact Commissioner von der Leyen and, and, and explain to her that they've expressed effectively no confidence in him. Um, and, uh, you know, then it has to be taken as to what happens next. And then, you know, that, that will create a situation where there's a vacancy in the trade, commi- in the, in the trade portfolio in the Commission. Who does Ireland nominate? Do they get the trade portfolio? All of these things will have to be weighed up in the coming hours and days. But again, a lot of it hinges on what Phil Hogan does next. Mm. Um, because as you say, it is ultimately not a uh, within the remit of the Taoiseach or the Tornish to, to, uh, to remove him from office. It's, yeah. it's solely his decision or the decision of the Commission President. 
Hugh O'Connell, political correspondent with independent newspapers, thank us for bringing up to speed on that this morning. If there is any statement from Phil Hogan or a spokesperson over the course of the show, we will, of course, bring it to you uh, here on the record this morning. Uh, I am joined in studio, as I mentioned, by Aoife Barry, who's the assistant news editor at the journal.e, and Ola Mali, who is from the School of Law and Government in DCU. Uh, thank you both for coming in this morning. Um, Oh, and there's uh, so much written uh, in the papers. I don't even know where you want to start. I mean, it's it's wall to wall. I can't remember there being a single topic mm. which has dominated not only the front pages, but almost every single page inside as Pretty much as this one has. Just to take up from what you said that the government can't do anything about it, they possibly can in the sense that the EU Council can ask the European Court of Justice to take a vote to remove uh, him for really whatever. Okay. Uh, so presumably, Michal Martin could write to Charles Michel yeah, and say and the, the rest of the European Prime Ministers. I and would presidents. like us to uh, to ask the mm. ECJ to to do this to consider well, this. See, that begs the question then: is do, do you think that they would look on that favourably? Because they would go right here is we are the world's biggest trading bloc. This is our trade commissioner. He was, in fact, mm. almost being lined up to be the head of the World Trade Organization only a few weeks ago. We're in the middle of trade talks with the United Kingdom, which are very sensitive for every member state, including, by the way, for Ireland. And you want him to go because he went to a golf shindig that he shouldn't have gone to. And did nothing illegal. Yeah. And has a reasonable defence in saying who lives in a different country and might be able to say, look, I don't know what the rules are in, in Ireland. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it, so, And you, you made the point that, you know, should uh, commissioners be accountable to their governments after they've been appointed to commissioners? And I would have thought that if I were Ursula von der Leyen, I would say I don't want any hint of interference from their mm. people back home that they can remove. So I would imagine that the commission would be hoping to resist this. They also are in the middle of trade negotiations and just the hassle of having to change uh, horses midstream would be would be difficult. Yeah, uh, the so, thought those crossed my mind, by the way. But then politically if you, if it's you difficult. Did, if you did have min, uh, commissioners accountable to their own governments as well, then you'd constantly be reshuffling positions because the commission would, would never get anything done. There'd be a scandal in every country in mm. every particular month and you'd have commissioners almost like a revolving door getting in and out of the Berlaymont every day of the week. Yeah, so it, it's I, I would think they'd want to resist it. But then why did Mihal Martin and Leo Varadkar call for this resignation unless you can deliver it because if you're seen to call for it and you don't get it then you look even weaker than if, if you had just said look this is an independent person mm. who is not accountable to us we think lots of things but uh, he might want to make his own decision on this but I'm not sure that the government was wise to go down the route of asking for his resignation. Well, like it's a risk, definitely. But I think they did it because of the optics of it. You know, like what Hugh was suggesting there, that they had to look like they were doing something to answer mm. to this huge outcry. I mean, like we haven't seen anything like this in so long. Like Friday was just this remarkable day, not just in the newsroom, but beyond. Like the whole country was involved in this in this scandal, really. Um, and so like the Taunashtan and the Taoiseach looked like they're in quite weak positions, but by actually saying oh hang on we're going to stand up to yeah. one of these people want particularly somebody with the rep- reputation Phil Hogan has which is that he's not going to go down easily you know so the fact that they were like actually doing this um, you know at whatever hour I think it broke at about 8pm 9pm last night I, I had to write up the piece myself late um, for the journal.ie so it was definitely late in the evening and you know I think it was a sign that they were trying to show that they did want to do something but I think like you're saying their own perhaps nothing can come from it I mean this is probably very small fry for the, for the commission but it's not small fry for every single person living in Ireland really um, and that's why it has they have to look like they've some semblance of kind of power here even if mm. they don't necessarily have it. 
Is that the case then? Are they just trying to play to the domestic audience by saying this lad has to go even though they know that it's a demand that probably won't be realised? I mean, that's the question. And I mean, if you're coming down to kind of optics, the whole thing is all about, as well as, as it being about a global pandemic, a lot of it is about optics, about what people are being seen to be doing. And if the Taoiseach and the Taunus are seen to be doing and asking for something that actually shows that they were very unhappy with Phil Hogan's um, behaviour, then that kind of does make them look good because we've just spent the last couple of days talking about people, you know, behaving in ways that really look very bad for very serious reasons but people who are kind of saying oh well I didn't realise the situation was that bad blah blah etc so like it is kind of a little bit down to optics so I can see why they decided to do it but will they look weaker at the end of it if Phil Hogan turns around and or, or like the powers that be turn around and say we're not getting involved in this mm. um, but again You've got Phil Hogan there, so he's not somebody, he's quite a powerful figure and I don't think people would expect him to fall on his sword, as you would say, no, very easily. No, I, I don't think they would. I think anyone who has any experience of, of Phil Hogan's approach to politics is that he's not someone who is very moved against his will uh, very, very easily. Um, Owen, oh, there is a separate question about Seamus Wolf, which is a slightly more delicate one because there is this perception of powers being separated and that you can't in a similar way that governments can't demand commissioners go every day of the week governments also can't demand that judges go because you'd get into the territory where you start sacking people for making Mm -hmm. decisions but you have to assume that if they believe that someone who attended a dinner uh, and apparently just acted so irresponsibly by merely showing up that the same logic must apply to Seamus Wolfe as does to Phil Hogan Yeah I mean I think a lot of people at that dinner might have a reasonable defence in saying that they didn't know about the rules they don't know exactly what the rules are and they may made a reasonable assumption that if it was organised by the Oireachtas Golf Society it must have been reasonably kosher. I don't think Seamus Wolfe has that defence in his back pocket no. because he was at a cabinet table. Yes, yeah, as I understand it, he was, he was very closely involved in the drafting of some so of those he regulations. Pre- yeah, he presumably literally wrote these uh, regulations mm. and so he can't do that. You made the point about him being there at all in regardless of a global pandemic, uh, just hanging around with... Uh, politicians is probably not a good look for a Supreme Court judge. Judges, once they go onto the onto the bench, mm. stop hanging around with what have been their best friends in, in the bar. They don't socialise or drink with barristers anymore. And it's probably a big wrench for them when, the, when they do that. And you would think that if they can't socialise with barristers, they should also not be socialising with uh, politicians mm. and government ministers. I did check the rules this morning, Aoife, and I discovered in the Constitution buried somewhere that you can remove a judge from office. I know that's a very <laughs> gav a sentence to say, isn't it? I love it. I love um, it yeah. <laughs> you can remove a judge from office if there's a resolution passed by the Dáil and the Shannad, which then goes to the President who is asked to remove that person's seal of office mm-hmm. um, it's technically possible I suppose that, granted whether it would get through the dollar shannon is one thing but yeah. I suppose there is In the optics of you think it would because I suppose the question is do you want to create the precedent where a judge who again breaks no law I mean, granted he's a judge who in a previous life wrote a lot of the regulations yeah. but he himself was not in breach of any law here and there could be an argument that this is a very slippery slope if you were yeah. to start demanding the resignation or the removal like literally impeaching judges for yeah. simply going to a hooli even if it's a very bad look. Yeah I think like what you say there about it, setting precedent is something that's going to be in the minds of those who have the power or not to actually to do this and like uh, Michal Martin when he did the interview um, with 6-1 there on Friday evening he I think it was 6-1 or maybe it was 9pm he was 
was really strong on not getting into criticising Seamus Wolfe in any shape or form and really kind of strong on, on the separation of powers. And you could tell that he was almost like physically uncomfortable about perhaps even saying anything that might draw, you know, drag him into a conversation that he shouldn't have been in or he didn't want to be in. But since then, we have seen it evolve. I mean, Alan Kelly has um, an article, I think, um, was it in the Sunday? Sunday yeah, Sunday Independent. Sunday Independent, in the wrong newspaper. Um, Alan Kelly has, has an article there where he, you know, basically does kind of call for him to step down or he basically is very strong that he says, I think it's he wants Hogan and Wolf to, to resign. And he, he does, you know, pay attention to the separation of powers. But he's like, look, this is the situation that it is. Just like you were saying there, if Wolf was involved in, 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 the, in actually drafting these re- regulations, then he knows more than anybody else. He shouldn't have been perhaps in that situation. So you're seeing more people coming out there saying stuff that the Taoiseach doesn't want to say, maybe mm. in lieu of him saying it, perhaps. In that, in that article that you're referring to in the Constitution, it, it makes it... It looks like it's a very high bar, but it's also very low bar mm. that you just have to it's get only, It's majority only a majority. Yeah, in, it's not even a qualified or a two thirds yeah, thing or anything. Uh, it's just if, so if the majority wants you out, you can And go. you don't have to have broken a law. It just said stated misbehaviour. Mm. And the stated misbehaviour mm. is lacking poor judgment. What do you want a judge to have? Judgment. judgment. <laughs> and if he clearly does not have good judgment mm. if he walked into that room and didn't immediately walk her out. Again, I mean, Derek Leary didn't break any laws, but... He had made those rules and he lacked political judgment. And that's one thing we want ministers to have. Because mm, the, there, there is a separate point and it is worth just pointing out as well that the, the guidelines of the newly tightened restrictions introduced by the government on Tuesday said that if you were at some sort of indoor gathering or if you were at a party at any kind of a table or whatever, and I mean party in the collective sense, not in a, in a holy sense, that you're only supposed to have six people from three households. And even the table that Derek Caleary and Phil Hogan were sitting at together was a table made up of people from four households. So evidently those rules were gone out the window no sooner yeah. than they'd been written. And what I thought was so interesting was that, you know, the fallback on it, on it a lot is like, well, we followed the guidelines, the, uh, you know, Irish Hotel Federation guidelines, who asked the department, et cetera, et cetera. But actually what seemed to have happened was some sort of kind of workaround and that you have this divider between, you know, between these two groups of people. And mm. it's like, well, that's not really, if you read the guidelines, what they say, that you can have one event that you split into multiple small events to try and make them pass the guidelines. What they're clearly about is one solid event. So this idea that like this hotel and or these organisers of this event decided to find their own way uh, to work their event to take place makes you wonder what other events are taking place and the fact that you had an event with such high kind of powered people like Mm. you're talking about like the elites of Irish society you're like well what's really going on I think for going back to what you were saying Owen some people as well would be standing back and looking at the guest list and being like didn't realise you know Seamus Wolf rubbed shoulders with these people or it's kind of right there in front of them who hangs out with who who has the power and what they're able to do and it raises a lot of questions for your average person I think who's not going to be invited to a golf Oireachtas yeah. event uh, By the way it is worth pointing out there was a statement overnight from the Irish Hotels Federation they say that they do provide general guidance mm. and they always encourage hotels and guest houses to comply with the required guidelines but we don't have any role in enforcing monitoring or Proving the implementation of this guidance or operational guidelines and they're also pointing out that there's a bit of a lag so that the, the guidelines within which the hotel was operating on Wednesday night hadn't yet reflected the updated public health guidance that was issued on Tuesday because there is a bit of a time lag where they engage with the Department of Tourism and they try to figure out how exactly to make all of this work so the guidelines that were issued or that were operated by the hotel on Wednesday night hadn't yet been updated to reflect some of the decisions that were made on Tuesday at Cabinet. Um, oh and I suspect if Golfgate hadn't happened there would have been an awful lot devoted in today's papers to the fact that pre-Golfgate 
there was this idea that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were kind of openly at war with each other because of some of the, the conduct of the cabinet meeting on Tuesday at which they decided to tighten some of the restrictions but not every minister was entirely on, on board, board with it. Uh, yeah, so there's a quote there uh, from uh, Hugh O'Connell I can't quite find it but I think I know more It's a fairly lengthy piece in fairness <laughs> it's difficult to find it <laughs> What it says was that you know if uh, Leo Varadkar reported to uh, uh, to Micheál Martin it, at the Cabinet mm. that if we keep doing business like this we won't be doing business for very long. Mm. Uh, which this, this was to do with the fact that Ministers only found out very late on Monday night that a full Cabinet meeting was being called for the following day and then the Ministers were only presented with the proposals to introduce the restrictions only six people indoors only 15 outdoors or whatever they were only presented with those basically 10 or 15 minutes before the meeting started and some of them felt like they were being sprung on them or that they were half-baked or that and, there really wasn't and these would discussion. normally go through a cabinet subcommittee or the COVID committee and they would have been sort of trashed out between the parties and so all three parties would have been reasonably happy and maybe just hammering the, uh, the details and so what you, what you can see is Leo Varadkar is continuously going on media and making government announcements before the Taoiseach mm. gets to make government announcements, which can only cause trouble within uh, between the two parties. Mm. You have a he, poll he now. He did announce the continuation of the restrictions in Kildare uh, on Twitter a few minutes before yeah. the, the official press conference at which Micheál Martin was originally planned to attend. Yeah, so I mean, these things are, are only going to anger each other and, and cause problems. And they must be designed to cause problems because Leo, Leo Varadkar knows exactly what that is going to do. It'll just get the hackles up within Fianna Fáil and within government and then because you have this uh, Mail on Sunday uh, Irish Mail on yes, Sunday yeah. poll which shows Fine Gael down a bit but still on a relatively healthy 35 Sinn Féin on 30 main opposition party and Fianna Fáil on 11 I vaguely recall that in December 2010 Fianna Fáil was on 11% in a poll I think I recall a, an Irish Mail on Sunday front page actually where they, they rang up Minister Bat O'Keefe and said what was your response and I think it was 11 or 12% and his response was Jesus <laughs> and, and, and that became the splash that was the headline <laughs> they just put there uh, and they ended up getting rid of the party leader not long afterwards mm. uh, it's so Fine Gael look like they could be happy enough if the government were to collapse you've got two ministers have resigned the, I mean, Fine Gael didn't cover itself in glory with Golfgate, but it's certainly not uh, it's not the main uh, taking all the bullets here. That's Fianna Fáil seems to be. The government has been at war. People you have continuously have Simon Harris going out making announcements about uh, health as if, you know, if I were still there, I'd be doing it slightly mm. differently. <laughs> there are people kind of com- within government openly uh, not quite being quoted on the record, but off the record being quoted saying that, you know, Stephen Donnelly isn't isn't up to the job. Uh, you would have thought that without the golf gate, this looks like a government in crisis that's sort of uh, could be could be toppled relatively easily, except uh, nobody really knows whether we could have an election. Yeah, uh, <laughs> the, the, the one that's keeping them there is the vacuum of how you would fill the vacuum if, if there was to be one. Um, if anything that jumps out of you from all the all the all that's written in today's papers about the ongoing tensions within cabinet? Yeah, there's so much stuff. Well, like, I thought one one quote that isn't maybe directly about the tensions, but speaks to the tensions was um, a, an unnamed, I think it was a Fianna Fáil politician saying that they had one of them said they got twenty five to thirty calls about the Golfgate issue and that they'd never.
ever encountered such anger over a single event and whether or not that particular anger was directed specifically at, at Fianna Fáil mm. or not. Um, but yeah, I, d- I did think as well, um, you know, there was mentions in like, say, the, the Sunday Times editorial of the honeymoon being over. I don't yes. know if there actually was a honeymoon. At <laughs> no, all I'm sure there no. was. I think it was about an hour and a half until people realised that there were no ministers from the west of Ireland or that Dara Cleary wasn't one of them. Oh my God, I know all the like, you know, all the sniping about cabinet positions and it took them long enough to try and get it all together, you know. So there, there is a lot of talk in editorials or otherwise about, you know, that there there have been issues from day one, particularly for Micheál Martin, starting with th- those cabinet post issues. Um, and there's a lot of talk about Stephen Donnelly's performance. You had, you know, the trampoline interview that he did um, with Zara King that mm. was just shared, you know, around Twitter. Of um, What I didn't see a lot of mention of was um, the interruptions in the press briefing as well that are shared around a lot around Twitter uh, where the journalists were approached by an advisor and told not to ask questions that weren't about the topic at hand, which was um, to do with the restrictions being lifted in mm. Leash and Offaly. Um, I'm surprised that isn't there because, um, you know, that's a big topic, I think, in terms of whether we're stopping journalists from asking questions briefings or not um, and that was you know Stephen Donnelly was supposed to be talking at that time um, so you know if you were to kind of do an analysis of how well the government is doing based on the Sunday papers today you'd be coming out of here and not feeling very uh, positive and I don't think Fine Gael come out of it looking particularly no, because better but they're in such a good position because they get to look like the good the good guys you know they get to like you say there Simon Harris gets to do his you know Minister for Health job on Twitter without being Minister for Health um, and they also got to do the very easy not easy easier job of uh, ironically easier of shutting down the country mm. and now Fianna Fáil are mm. in charge of bring, trying trying to get some semblance of quote unquote normality which you can't really have right now um, you know half opening the country shutting down parts of it they're, they're doing a very difficult job but they're also not particularly doing it uh, very well because there's so much confusion this week was the most confusing it's been over and, what the I hell mean, is one happening One of the things you see is Gabriel Scali there's Paddy uh, Mallon uh, these are kind of professors mm. and uh, medics who are complaining that the government has no strategy. And again, they that would be enough to get on the front of any of the papers mm. on a normal week. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Gabriel Skelly says government has no strategy on COVID, don't know where it's going. And even some of the government advisors admit that they're, according to the papers today, that there is no strategy. Yeah, we'll, we'll put that to uh, Professor Philip Nolan, the head of the Epidemiological Modelling Group. He's with us after 12 o'clock. He's a member of Neffet, so maybe he can help to explain, maybe not what the government strategy is, but at least what Neffet's strategy is when it's trying to come up with some of these things. Um, on the topic of Fianna Fáil, I noticed that there's a very big spread in the business post today across pages four and five, uh, a long read written by Aidan Corkery. And the headline simply says, the party is dead in a ditch. And I suppose the one comfort for Fianna Fáil in that is that of the list of portraits of people who have been implicated by Golfgate and everything else you have not only uh, Dara Cleary but you do have Jerry Buttimer who is now no longer the, the vice chairman of the Shannad you have Phil Hogan who is still for now at least an EU commissioner and you also have Seamus Wolfe who was a Fine Gael appointed attorney general so at least Aoife maybe that uh, Fianna Fáil are not totally insulated even if they are the ones who are getting the, the brunt of the complaints from inside government Yeah exactly I mean you know there's so many people involved in everything that, that's going on but I, I thought it was interesting to see like the kind of quotes in this piece and about how like you're saying they're saying Fianna Fáil is in a very bad place and that there's mentions of uh, private conversations um, allegedly taking place between the Taoiseach and Tánaiste where like Leo Radker has regularly raised issues with Mial Martin in private and has been grown frustrated so um, there's also a quote here about a Fianna Fáil TD saying you know that the people in the Oireachtas Gaul Society are like the grand old Dukes of York so it's a great day for like the quotes about kind of you know <laughs> the, the quotes from yeah, unnamed people about what's really going on 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting time to see how things go for Fianna Fáil, um, you know, as the fallout of everything continues, because like how much worse can it get over the next couple of weeks one will be asking. Well, um, well one one possible uh, idea to that, uh, Matt, Cooper, <laughs> Matt Cooper is writing on the back page of the Business Post today, Owen, that Golfgate has the potential to put Fianna Fáil in the political bunker permanently. And when you add that to everything that was going on with Barry Cowan and the confusion around that, all the complaints there were around the stripping of the PUP, the confusion around the green list and whether you were supposed to travel to those areas or not, and then the withdrawal of welfare payments from those people. It's been such a rocky start. Like eight, you know, there were nine years waiting to get back into government. The first eight weeks have gone so tremendously badly that mm, and is there the possibility that Fianna Fáil could be finished by this? Yeah, I mean, you've, the leaving search is yet to come out, and you've got mm. a rookie uh, TD in the department there. Uh, schools are meant to go back. One of the things people always voted for, uh, liked Fianna Fáil for, was that it was competent. It may have kind of shaved around the edges of rules and things like that, but it used to be known as a competent party that you could at least put in charge. It principles, mm. but competence was important. That reputation was more or less battered to to death in uh, 2008-2011. But I mean, whatever chance poor Michal Martin has had of resurrecting it, looks like it could be gone uh, now and it could be permanent. Uh, you now do seem to have set up a a party system that looks like it's Fine Gael versus Sinn Féin. And even though Michal Martin is the Taoiseach, uh, I think when people are voting in the next election, whenever that might be, I think they'll be looking at Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin and that they will be the two main parties. Well, certainly the opinion poll seems to, to bear that out. Even before we go to a break, is there anything, I don't mean to put the whole responsibility on your shoulders, but what can Fianna Fáil do to rehabilitate well, itself? Well, I don't know if I'm like an expert in what a political party can do to rehabilitate itself. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I suppose I often kind of think like there's like people have like long and short memories in politics, you know, because like people never forget what happened. But at the same time, people will still go vote for people that they really, get, that they have kind of a strong um, kind of love for or they have have a family connection to or they've mm. just always been a Fianna Fáil supporter or whatever. So I mean Fianna Fáil are doing pretty badly right now but like you know I don't think people would have necessarily anticipated how they did in the recent election either in one way you know they because they were in the position where they can make themselves look good you know mm. before the recent election. Now they look bad but they will probably manoeuvre themselves into a situation even if they do look bad now in the future into looking good again and they will get back into so, some sort of power. So it's kind of how things have gone over the last while and I mean I, I don't know listen I mean so it's yeah. not going to be easy to govern in the next five years. That's a really good point because we are in a different position now economically than we were during the last um, election. So perhaps uh, maybe, you know, I don't know, it could be completely downhill for them, but I don't want to, um, I don't think I'd be in the position to to future <laughs> well, uh, tell, I suppose, what's going to happen. Is pulling people successfully out of the recession maybe own the one thing that Fianna Fáil could do? Because if the government does manage to keep the show on the road, they do have another four and a half years in power. So there is maybe that one golden goose that they could cling to, which is the idea of potentially managing to salvage something from the rubble of all this pandemic. Well, they could, but they don't seem to be doing a great job of it at the moment because nobody, I mean, pubs are being closed, uh, even though, you can, and then the publicans are reasonably turning around saying, why the hell can you guys go have 81 people at, at a shindig? Uh, they could, but even then, 
Leo Varadkar will be the Taoiseach at the time of the next election in mm. four and a half years time. And so he might be the one who looks good and gets the plaudits for that. I mean, Aoife, there's a lot written, including by um, our own Susan Kyo here in News Talk, uh, who's saying that this is the, the final Sunday of freedom and the school, the going is really going to get tough uh, this coming week. It does seem from, from all the pieces written today that we are being asked to take something of a leap of faith here. Yeah, we definitely are. I mean, nobody knows what's going to happen when schools reopen. There can be a lot of planning put into it. Um, and obviously some people have complaints about the level of planning. Um, and how much you know teachers are supported, or how much knowledge that they have, or how much information they have. But like we, re- people are really taking a leap of faith. This has never happened in the context that it's happening now in Ireland. Nobody knows what's going to happen. We are opening schools where you have multiple children in in rooms, where you have teachers there, where you have you know on top of that you also have children um, with you know special education needs on top of that too who need extra support. Mm. Um, and you know like this is going to be very difficult for a lot of people involved to kind of I suppose fully trust that they'll be okay because we're dealing with a virus that is going to just do its own thing. Um, and there is a lot of, you know, writing, a lot writing on the education minister, Norma Foley. She's, you know, very much a newcomer to this type of role. Um, there's questions over the marking of exams separately to even getting the kids into the school. Obviously, it's leaving certain junior research. Um, and there's a piece by Colin Murphy um, in the papers uh, this mm. today. And he's saying that there's kind of a sense. So I think there's somebody saying to him that there's a sense of making it up as we go along. Now, I mean, we kind of do have to, in one way, make up our response to um, the pandemic as we go along. But at the same time, you want to feel like the that schools have enough information that they're equipped to deal with the situation, Mm. that they know what's going to happen if there is a COVID outbreak in a class or in a bubble or in a school, um, that children's education isn't affected too much. Because really, when you think about it, there wasn't the choice to keep schools closed. Like that could never have been an option for multiple reasons. That would be a very big educational crisis if you didn't have children going back to school. And that affects their parents too who obviously wouldn't be able to necessarily go back Mm. to work fully. Um, So, you know, the question is how easily will this all happen. Sure. The headline on that uh, Colin Murphy piece in today's Business Post on page 23 is that the key decisions on schools are being driven by politics and not education. And on that topic, I want to play you um, a little bit of audio because there was one comment made earlier this week by Liz Canavan, who's the Assistant Secretary General at the Department of the Taoiseach. She's been giving those um, sporadic COVID-19 briefings uh, on weekday mornings at the Department of the Taoiseach. And she made a comment uh, earlier this week about some of the prioritisation and some measures which are being permitted while others are not, which I thought was very telling because she put things in a way that I haven't heard any other politician put them. Take a listen to this. Of course one choice is to close everything down. That would bring a halt. We know that. What government has chosen to do, in line with the public health advice, is to reduce as much activity and potential for spread in uncontrolled environments as possible. This is being done in favour of schools reopening, our health services resuming, and as many businesses as possible remaining open. This is a balancing act. It's about reducing, managing and mitigating risk. It's not about eliminating all risk. Until we have a vaccine, we can't eliminate all risk. So that's Liz Canavan basically there explaining that nothing is risk-free, which I suppose, if as you said, is a point that Stephen Donnelly was trying to make, albeit with some difficulty when he spoke to my colleague in Virgin Media, Zara King, earlier in the week. Um, but on what I find sort of very telling about that is that if Liz Canavan is prepared to say that basically we are stripping out some of the optional to safeguard the necessary, if we're deciding that all gatherings are risky, but that schools are indispensable, then that we have to basically cut back on other people's luxuries to allow for the possibility of increased risk from schools, which also goes to say that they almost acknowledge that they're putting kids into harm's way. Uh, 
probably not kids in that insofar as we know that kids, even if they get it, don't really get harmed. Maybe very few cases where they actually kids aren't going to be harmed. Maybe teachers will be harmed. And so there will be teachers who will be exposed to 30 kids or and probably mm. multiple if you're in secondary school and you're going around from classroom to classroom. So it'll be it'll be very risky for teachers. It seems to have worked in other countries. Uh, there haven't been major outbreaks. There have been kind of sporadic outbreaks that will be controlled. But I think Liz Canavan was right and the government is right to say that, you know, you can't eliminate risk. Mm. There is a certain amount of risk that we kind of have in our pocket that we can use and so it's going to be rationed and it'll be rather than giving it to bars although I prefer bars but uh, <laughs> uh, we, we You're not sure go- if your kids would prefer the bars <laughs> Well no I'm glad to get the kids out as well so <laughs> I want bars and schools please uh, get rid of uh, we've, we can ration this risk and you know we're going to put it on we're going to deliver a fair amount of this risk that we can ration to uh, schools because schools are societally and uh, uh, socially so important that mm. we, we can't not have them going back. Uh, someone points out on Twitter, this is a tweet from Breach, who says that if, if 30 children have to isolate, uh, I should preface this by saying that it wouldn't necessarily always be the case that 30 children would have to isolate. This is why there are pods within class bubbles. But she says, if 30 children have to isolate, then so do their parents. That's give or take 60 people out of the workforce. And then what if it's multiple schools? And employers can't really afford to have staff off of work. And this has a huge knock-on effect. If they get unpaid leave now, uh, low parents, low-pay parents won't be able to afford it. That's a point from mm. Breach, which I suppose Aoife, is an interesting point because even even aside before you, you deal with the issue that Owen has raised there of secondary teachers who will be going around between classes so they yeah. could be exposed on multiple instances. But you have a situation where if six kids are all told to self-isolate because one of them has begun to show symptoms or one tests positive, then you have others who aren't close contacts who still have to stay at home. And this is where you get back into the territory where the lion's share of a million people could be at home and then the lion's share of the two million parents might have to stay at home and look after them. Yeah, they're like the knock-on effects of one person potentially being affected by COVID. You know, it, it kind of multiplies out to all of the people that they're connected with in any sort of way which is why obviously you have those pods um, and those bubbles and which is why there needs to be a really quick turnaround on on uh, testing when it comes to teachers and pupils and uh, contact tracing and everything because the idea with it really is like the faster you can figure out if somebody has COVID or not when they start displaying symptoms especially when kids could be quite asymptomatic which could lead to even more issues mm-hmm. where you don't even know they have it till the teacher gets sick for example but the faster you can get that information then the quicker they can actually respond to it and that's really the key to it because any lag on that just means that the virus can spread further. But I mean, you know, there were there were um, figures I think in that Colin Murphy article about schools saying that they had something like seventy percent of of teachers, uh, not teachers, sorry, uh, parents involved in kind of homeschooling, very engaged in it at the start of the pandemic, and now that's dropped to about thirty percent. So like people, you know, the homeschooling thing isn't for many various reasons. Mm. You know, whether it's that people, you know, just can't do it for you know, kind of physical or other other reasons um, or monetary reasons, that's not really something that they can depend on people to fall back on either. So getting the kids into schools is... And it's also socially, you know, I mean, so exactly, certain people yeah. are disadvantaged in that. I mean, Completely. You can't expect everyone to have a computer have in their house. Yeah, PhDs and yeah. somebody else's uh, parents are working in second shelves in Tesco or maybe hospital porters and they get left on a PlayStation all day. Well, so, I mean, no, it doesn't matter where you work. Your, your kids could still be getting, could be getting a... Could be know, on a PlayStation all day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> No matter what your no matter what yeah. job your, your your parent has, you know, parent, it's more I mean, to do with the some, kind of physical infrastructure they have in their homes. Are able to better able to homeschool kids than than others. They've got better resources. They've got more machinery mm. to do it. And if you if you're you can't tell somebody that your kid is at home, but you you're going to lose your salary if you or your wage if you don't come into work. 
it's going to be a disaster for mm. people. Uh, Aoife, just before I completely run out of time, I also want to touch on some of the questions around arts because there mm. was a lot of confusion for a little while around how many people would be allowed to go into music venues or theatres and whether a theatre could have 50 people or 25 or whether yeah. it was only cinemas. Um, not only is there the whole question about whether arts are a little bit of an afterthought, but it again goes back to the question of why are you allowed to now to have bigger crowds indoors for certain arts events than you're allowed to have art outdoors watching a GA match, for example. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think all of that confusion that was happening over the space of a couple of days during the week made people feel rightly or wrongly that the arts was like you're saying an afterthought that there wasn't this kind of level of thought gone into the detail of it because you had um, you know the initial outlay of what the new restrictions were then you had Stephen Donnelly giving the wrong figure and then that had to be clarified and then that clarification had to be clarified again mm. and now you still have people who are saying well how are you going to have outdoor music events with 15 people and how does that differ from like you're saying you know um, a, you know, mass or you know a wedding for mm. example You can so have a mass gathering but not a mass gathering Exactly so like people are feeling you know very kind of hard done by because you're not just talking about oh it's great to go see a gig you're talking about people who do the lighting do the sound but you know are performers themselves run venues mm. there's a huge amount of people whose entire livelihood is now has just been blown apart and they're seeing these restrictions further kind of leaving them with more questions about the future it's very difficult if you're working in the arts and obviously like you say um, the GAA saw a rollback on, on restrictions for them too when they had been able to have about what 200 people socially mm. distanced at events that's not going to happen anymore including the players so like you know if you're going to give out new details on restrictions you'd want to be very very clear about what you're saying otherwise Mm. people are going to be feeling very annoyed because Owen would have desperately loved to have been in the Aviva last night to watch Leinster playing Munster as well (laughs) Uh, we're completely out of time guys thanks so much for coming in this morning really appreciated the chat this morning that's uh, Aoife Barry who's the assistant news editor at thejournal.ie and Owen O'Malley from the School of Law and Government in DCU Has your fuse box gone haywire? Is your water pressure too weak? Or maybe your boiler needs an upgrade. They don't last forever, you know. Well, the good news is that there's a local hero in Dublin for that. So if you're locked out on a Thursday and need a locksmith, take the hassle out of it with localheroes.ie. Our online service connects you with trusted tradespeople in your area and all work comes with a 12-month guarantee backed by Borgosh Energy. Try it out while listening to your podcast. You could get a quote in minutes at localheroes.ie. TNCs apply. Visit localheroes.ie for full details.